Well, we did it again. We said we were singing. We were actually praying. Notice how often that happens in Christian worship, right? Let's continue our prayer. Lord Jesus, we come to you to behold your glorious face. What we do now is listen to your spirit speaking through the written word, the scriptures. And our goal in doing that is not just to get to the end of the service. It's, it's not to speak empty platitudes that make us feel better for a moment and then walk out into the real world where it makes no difference. Our goal is to come to you and to behold your glorious face as the scriptures paint for us a picture of how ruined our hearts and our world would be apart from you and what they can be when renewed and changed and transformed by your power. The words that I will speak this morning have no strength in them unless you keep your promise, your promise to send the Spirit to invest truth about yourself with life-changing power. So, Lord, we come to you. We want to behold your face. Even those of us who aren't sure we know you or love you. All the deepest desires of our heart are for that very thing, to behold your face. Would you meet us, we pray in your name. Amen. So we're working our way through the book of Revelation. Today we find out a hard truth. Human beings are easily intoxicated by a powerful combination of desire, power, and wealth. We'll introduce ourselves to two chapters of the book of Revelation this morning, chapter 17 and 18. And the message of those chapters is, is that hard truth. Human beings are easily intoxicated by this combination of desire, power, luxurious wealth. We'll also find here an answer to a question that was raised this week on Tuesday by President Biden when he asked, who in the Lord's name does Putin think gives him the right to declare these new so-called countries in territories that belong to his neighbors? That was the president's question. Scripture gives us an answer. And the answer is this. When human beings get intoxicated by desire, power, we think we have the right to do whatever we please. If I desire it and I have the power to do it, then I have the right to do it. Don't I? That reasoning sounds so good when you're doing it. <laughs> When you're on the other end of that kind of reasoning, 
when you want to be able to say to someone, that just because you want it and just because you can do it doesn't mean you are free to do it. We want someone to stand up in that moment and say, no. But this week is a powerful reminder that if someone is intoxicated, this potent combination of desire and power, and we'll add wealth along the way, then the, literally the whole world can stand up and say no, and you won't change your mind. You won't listen. And that's when we want to appeal to a higher authority. Sometimes we come to the book of Revelation and we think, mm, I'm not so sure that fits with modern values because so much of it is about God evaluating people's lives and, and holding them accountable to standards that, that he had and that we didn't meet. And this, this kind of theme of judgment. But every time you want to appeal to a higher authority, because someone around you is intoxicated with power and lust and desire and greed and they won't listen to anyone or anything and you like President Biden you want to reach out and can I pull in a, a stronger name a higher name I, I don't who in the Lord's name we, we want a higher authority to step in and say no now we often distinguish the Christian gospel from humanism and moralism here at Intown. Humanism locates this higher authority in human wisdom or human community. That's not working for us this week, is it? The world community is saying no. But our wine is not as appealing as this intoxicating blend of power and desire and greed. Moralism locates this higher authority in duties that can be performed or in a God who can be impressed and whose favor can be earned. The Christian message, the gospel, locates this higher authority in the God who gives himself. He gives himself to recapture the hearts of people who have become intoxicated with counterfeit desires. That's good news in a world that's having a week like this one. Did you know that we could find good news like that in the book of Revelation? Let's listen for good news that God wants to awaken us from our stupor. Becky's going to read for us. Thank you. Our scripture reading this morning is from Revelation 17, verses 1 through 6, and chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. Then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls, came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast 
that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of my favorite memories is of standing in this place. It's the University Church of St. Mary in Oxford, England, actually sitting in this place and listening to a group of friends, but mainly I was listening more intently, I confess, to my wife when she would read. We were reading through a sermon delivered by C.S. Lewis called The Weight of Glory. He delivered it in this church and in that pulpit. Um, In that message, Lewis gives one of his best-known quotes. It's about desire. He says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are far too easily pleased. The fuller quote runs like this, The Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what it's meant when someone offers him a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Lewis is getting at the logic of these two chapters of Revelation that we are a race, a world, easily captivated by weak desires. They seem strong. They seem overpowering. But the point is they're desires for things that are weak, for counterfeit pleasures. God gives us visions in these two chapters in order to snap us out of this kind of drunken stupor and awaken in us desire for the real thing. 
I want to unpack one phrase today. It's from Revelation 18, verse 4. Come out of her, my people. We'll do that with some help from the Old Testament, specifically the book of Proverbs. Let's start with the first half of that phrase. Come out of her. Where are we coming out from? And if we come out of one place, it's usually because we're headed somewhere else. Where are we going to? We'll get help from the book of Proverbs here. If you read the book of Proverbs, you notice that there are two women who are main characters in the book. One is named Folly and the other is named Wisdom. Now, conveniently in Hebrew, these two nouns have feminine endings on them. So they sound like the names of women. Works better than in English because I don't know anybody who chose to name their daughter Folly. But some women are named Sophia, right? Some young women who are having a birthday this week are named Sophia, which means wisdom. So... These two character traits, folly and wisdom, are both personified as women in the book of Proverbs. One woman is tempting us and alluring us and leading us, Proverbs says, on a path toward death and seducing and saying things like, bread eaten in secret tastes better, right? Stolen bread is more delicious than the bread you had to work for. A night spent with a prostitute is more exciting than a night spent with your wife. That's the lady folly trying to allure us to these counterfeit pleasures. And then Lady Wisdom stands up and she's, she's proud. She stands on high hills and she shouts. She doesn't have to, to whisper her invitations. She can openly say, follow me on the path to life. So when you come to the book of Revelation, if you're familiar with that Old Testament background, you're not surprised to find two women portraying these two paths. One is Babylon and the other is the New Jerusalem. Two cities. Babylon is portrayed here in chapter 17 and 18 as a prostitute. Someone tempting and alluring the kings of the earth or the dwellers on the earth, chapter 17 says. I uh, just found this new translation of the Bible that's come out. It's called the First Nations Version. It's an indigenous translation. Uh, read a few samples from it. I was like, got to have one of those. And uh, I don't know if the Old Testament is out yet. I just purchased the New Testament so where, where Revelation 18 and 17 talks about Babylon, this translation calls it the great village of confusion because the word Babylon sounds like babbling, confusing sounds coming out of someone's mouth. And um, when the text calls her a prostitute, this translation says, a woman who trades her body for possessions. Right, so if, if you read the word prostitute, if you hear the word harlot in some translations, and, 
and maybe you're of an age that you're not sure what that word means. And I've always, in talking with my kids about it, I've said, hey, this, this is someone you, you pay money to them so they pretend to be your wife for a little while. Why would someone play that kind of game? Babylon is a prostitute. One who trades her body for possessions and tempts to confuse other people. She's portrayed to us uh, in this text as somebody who's, who's got an alliance with the dragon, Satan himself. Now, how do we know that? Well, we know it because we're learning to pay attention to the symbols in this book. And um, there's this verse 3 of chapter 17. I see this woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, and the beast had seven heads and ten horns. We've only met one other being in the book of Revelation that has that combination of seven heads and ten horns. And it's from chapter 12, this portrait of Satan, the great dragon. So whoever Babylon is, whatever she symbolizes, she's in league with the dragon himself, the great arch enemy of God and his people, the sower of lies and confusion. She's also in league with the beast we learned about in Revelation chapter 13. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. This is Babylon. What's she like? She revels in self-glory and luxury. Listen again to verse 7 of chapter 18. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Right? Verse 7 goes on to say, In her heart she says, I sit as a queen. I am not a widow. I will never see mourning. I am on the path of life. And I am living life to the full because I am filled with myself. She glorified herself. And I've got more riches than I can count. She lives in luxury. And God says, come out of her, my people. Come out of that kind of place. Don't live in that kind of place where human beings are so drawn to live. To live in pride and arrogance and say, as long as I can get my way in the world, death can't touch me. Sadness can't. I can have enough money that I will never be sad. I can have enough temporary encounters with enough people. That's the image of prostitution, isn't it? That I will never weep. If I can get the rest of the world to give me what I want, I will be happy forever. And nobody can do a thing about it. Come out of that place, God says to us. Well, where are we going to go instead? Well, okay, next week we'll get there. The New Jerusalem. This other woman, she's not a prostitute. She's a bride, and she's being invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. She isn't allied to a dragon. She's uniting in marriage to a Lamb who has given himself for her good and her glory. We won't stop to read about it now because I'll just be kind of stealing from sermons we'll hear in the next couple of weeks, right? We'll get there. 
But if you're not reading the whole sweep of this book, you miss that it's actually, it's two women. It's Proverbs all over again. It's, it's, it's being seduced and allured by the counterfeit versus standing with the bride and being invited to join ourselves to the Lamb. This bride, this new Jerusalem, she's not reveling in her own glory. She doesn't glorify herself. We'll read descriptions of how she, she gives glory to God. She knows she was created not to amass glory for herself, but to give glory away. It's the only way to life. And she's going to feast, but she's not going to be eating secret stolen bread. She's not living a life of luxury. She's enjoying the abundance that her bridegroom, Christ, has lavished on her. And the book of Revelation is just saying over and over and over again, your desires are too weak. If you're intoxicated by this wine of power and desire and lust and greed and luxury, you're giving up too soon. Hang on and wait for the real thing. Trisha and I recently had the, the privilege of um, walking with some young couples through preparation for marriage. And uh, we've been invited to some wedding feasts. It's fun. Um, we've been working through a book by Tim and Kathy Keller called The Meaning of Marriage. If you uh, are single, read that book. A whole lot of it has to do with being single. If you're married, read that book. If you haven't already, if you've read it once, read it again. It's a great book. One of the things that this book speaks about is um, the difference between a relationship based on self-fulfillment and one based on giving to the other, self-sacrifice. And it describes that, that kind of relationship as one that, that requires a partner who is low maintenance or no maintenance. I don't have to do much giving because I want to be in a relationship with somebody who doesn't require much of me. And that same partner meets my needs, but they don't make any demands. How awesome would that be? You know what that's called? That's called prostitution. Isn't it? Satisfy my desires, no commitment, no relationship. That's not marriage. That's not a healthy friendship. That's not a healthy any kind of relationship. But doesn't it sound so appealing? Man, how many days I wake up in the morning and I say, that's kind of how I want the world to work today. Can everybody give me what I need? And I don't have to give anything in return because wouldn't that be nice? And the answer is no, it would be horrific. It would be a travesty of what we were really made for. We weren't made for that because the God who made us isn't like that and we're made in his image. We won't find fulfillment through that kind of intoxicating counterfeit desire. We're gonna find it coming out of that kind of place 
So Jesus is just shouting at us again and again and again because he loves us. Stop playing around with counterfeit pleasures. I'm offering you perfect intimacy with me. Permanent union with me. I will make an absolute claim on you. But only, only after I have already been the lamb and made the ultimate sacrifice for you. I understand very clearly following Jesus does demand a lot of us. In fact, it demands everything of us. But only in response to the one who's already given everything for us and to us. Babylon, this place, this human tendency to build all of life around accumulation, satisfaction of our desires, greed, luxury, lust, power, give me more, I'll never be satisfied. Babylon will never love you like that. Come out of her, my people. Who is it God is calling to come out? Who is invited to come out? Proverbs is going to help us again. I know you remember this because I preached about it a few years ago. <laughs> the book of Proverbs is directed at three audiences. The foolish, people who have heard and understand the call of wisdom. They understand what's at stake and they knowingly say, uh-uh, I don't want it. I want my own way instead. I can get more life than God is offering me on my own terms. The fool in the Bible is the person who fully aware sees the choice and says, nope, I'm going my own way. And the person who has said that and hardened their heart, they may be beyond help. Maybe not. There's another audience in the book of Proverbs, the wise. The wise are the people who have heard the calls of wisdom and folly and have said, I want more of wisdom and more of wisdom and more of wisdom. The wise are not the people who have already got all the wisdom and they're like, I'm done. The wise are the people who say, I am not wise in my own eyes. I still need more from God. Whatever he has from me, I want more of it. Whatever he wants me to know, I want to learn more. Whatever he's doing in my life and however he's changing me and shaping me, I want more growth. That's the wise. And then there's this third category. I know you remember it and you're like, skip over. I remember all this from that sermon you preached a few years ago. That's a preacher joke. You can laugh if you want to. I had a friend once who, uh, when you're on a seminary faculty, you get invited. To, this is not in the notes, right? You get invited to preach, guest preach at a lot of churches and uh, seminary professors are, you know, absent-minded, uh, many of us, and we don't keep great records. Well, this friend showed up at a church and he preached the same sermon that he had preached a couple of years previous. Nobody remembered it. <laughs> it's like, good, nobody caught my mistake, or dang, that's depressing. <laughs> so, 
Another seminary professor of mine said, dare to be boring. Tell people the same thing over and over and over again. So here we go. We're daring to be boring. I know we said this from Proverbs. We're saying it again. There's the foolish, there's the wise, and then there's the simple. The simple are the people in the book of Proverbs who are like, they're still in this process of formation. And they're really tempted to listen to folly. And, and they're not quite sure they're sold on wisdom, but they haven't fully made up their mind yet. There's still a chance. They're a bit naive. They don't fully understand what's at stake. Maybe they'll listen. We're going to try to reach them. Revelation is speaking to those same three audiences. Babylon in this chapter is portrayed as the fool, the person who is unrepentant, the person who has already made up their mind. I have my lovers and I am getting more pleasure from my liaisons with them than I could ever get from God and I'm gonna ride this beast in all of my glory and I'm gonna drink my wine and I don't wanna hear about that new Jerusalem anymore. Don't invite me to the wedding feast of the lamb. I am good. Don't need no Jesus. That's Babylon. So she needs to be warned of her coming judgment. And that's how these two chapters function. And then there are the wise. Come out of her, my people. There are, there are God's people who are referred to as his saints. Back in chapter 7, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. The wise are the people who have listened to Jesus and have said, I will follow him even if it goes to a place of suffering and death because I want more of Jesus. Whether in this life or the next or both put together, I want more of the lamb who has loved me and given himself for me. And then there are the simple the people who might still be open to hearing, there's still a chance that they could come out of her and be one of my people. Who are they? The kings of the earth and the dwellers on the earth who have allied themselves with the prostitute Babylon. How do we know that? All right, I don't have time to give you all the details, but here's the skinny, here's the short version, okay? Every time the phrase, the kings of the earth, occurs in the book of Revelation, it is bad news for God's people. Every time in the, in the book of Revelation, the kings of the earth refers to those people who are enemies of God and the church, to those who have hardened their hearts against Christ and his people, except one time. One time, we'll see it in a few weeks, Revelation chapter 21, verse 24, says that the kings of the earth will come into the new Jerusalem and will bring with them the glory of the nations and lay it at the feet of God in worship of him. So apparently, even those who are most intoxicated by power and luxury and greed and wealth and lust, there's a chance that they can come out of her and come into the city and be part of the bride of the Lamb. Isn't that good news? Isn't it good news? And those who dwell on the earth, 
right? Who, who is it that goes to have these fleeting relationships with this prostitute Babylon? Well, it's the kings of the earth. And the ESB says the dwellers on the earth. And again, it's the same pattern everywhere in the book of Revelation. Bad news. The dwellers on the earth are always listening to the dragon. They're always listening to the beast. They're always listening to false prophets. Those who dwell on the earth are always killing Jesus and his people. Except in one place, Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. We saw it a couple weeks ago, and I know you remember it. That's another preacher joke. I saw another angel flying overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. It's not too late. For even those who seem the the most disinterested in Jesus, the most hostile toward him, it's not too late. Church, keep preaching the gospel. Keep showing yourself to be the bride of Jesus in this broken world because it's not too late. There are some simple people in this world and I was one of them and so were you and the Lord called out to us through Lady Wisdom, through Jesus, through his people and said, come, there is a place where you can sit down to a true feast. Come out of her, my people. As you listen to the book of Revelation, you need to hear a truth that may not be very welcome in our world. And the truth is that there is a coming day of judgment and that the one in charge on that day will not be you or me. We don't get to fudge the standards like a kid saying ratio over there because I'm already there. We won't get the cheat that way. But as you listen to this part of Scripture and to the whole of Scripture, you should be hearing Jesus Christ, the Lamb who has laid down his life to redeem anyone, anywhere, anytime who will come to him inviting you to a true feast. Wedding feast. And to make you ready for that feast, he gives you true garments. One way to capture the contrast here is just to look at the colors that these two women are wearing. This great prostitute, what's she wearing? What's she clothed with? The woman was arrayed, chapter 17, verse 4 says, with purple and scarlet. What does purple stand for? Purple is it's the color of luxury in the ancient world. Purple, is, purple dye was made from the secretions of a, a kind of rare sea creature. It's not available many places. And so it was expensive to have it manufactured and shipped all over the world. And so who could afford it? Kings and royalty and noble people. It was a sign of wealth and luxury. 
This woman, Babylon, who shows up wearing purple is saying, look what I have acquired. I did it. I got this for myself. I am the 1%. She's also clothed in scarlet. Deep red. What's that the color of? You know without me having to tell you. It's the color of blood. Look who I have conquered. I have shed the blood of those weak people who followed that lamb. Look what I have gotten for myself and look who I have overcome. And in chapter 19, we're gonna meet the bride, the new Jerusalem, and the lamb is inviting her to his wedding feast. And the scriptures are going to say that something was given to her. It was given to her to wear fine linen, bright, radiant, and pure. She's clothed in in garments that say, look what has been done for me. Look who has cleansed me. Look who has clothed me. See who has enabled me to overcome. Jesus is inviting you. He is seeking to awaken your deepest desires. And he is saying, keep seeking their fulfillment. But make sure you're seeking the real thing, not the counterfeit. If you seek the counterfeit, you will always be a person who, whether you want to or not, you're clothing yourself in purple and scarlet. Look at me. When you seek the real thing, when your deepest desires are fulfilled through Jesus, you will always stand with the bride and you will be clothed in garments that shout, look at someone other than me. And look what he has done. Jesus says, come out of her, my people. Come to the marriage supper of the Lamb.